Welcome to Conservation Unfiltered, presented by Conserve the Wild, your destination for an unfiltered look at conservation. Now let's get wild. Welcome back to another episode of the Conservation Unfiltered podcast. This is episode number 24, America's Dog with Marcus Gray. In today's episode, I talk with Marcus about the history and usefulness of the Feist dog breed. Marcus is a Feist dog owner, an avid hunter of all things, especially squirrels, and the owner of Gray's Mountain Feist. Let's dive into why Marcus loves the Feist breed of dog and how he developed a line of dogs that excel at hunting a variety of game species. Well, welcome back, Marcus. Uh, for anyone who thinks this his voice uh, sounds familiar, Marcus was on episode 21 when we talked about Audubon International's Monarchs in the Rough program. If you did miss that episode, uh, we both suggest that you take a listen to hear about a great program that helps develop uh, helps a diverse range of species. So, Marcus, how you doing today? I'm doing fine. I appreciate it and uh, happy to be here. All right. Uh, so today, uh, having you on a second time, I wanted to sort of switch gears a little bit and talk about something you have a little bit more of a personal passion, and that is the is basically squirrel hunting and the dogs that you run. So uh, can you, you – I'm a dog person. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm very familiar with a lot of upland bird dogs, uh, but I'm not really familiar with the breed that, that you raise and, and you spend the majority of your time with. So can you tell everyone what that is and sort of explain to us in layman's terms what kind of dog you own? Yes. So the, the breed that we raise is probably more accurately um, considered a landrace or, or a type of dog, just like you would say bird dog or hound. There's a group or an umbrella term for um a small game hunting dog called Feist, F-E-I-S-T. And that's actually where we get the word and the term Feisty from, but um, people have forgotten about the dog that it was associated with. But we, we raise and hunt and train Mountain Feist, which um, were developed in Southern Appalachia specifically for small game hunting and have been fine-tuned for that since probably the 1980s um, as a specialist for squirrel hunting. Um, prior to that, and even today, but prior to that, they were mainly a dog for the rural homestead you know they protect protect the chicken house keep critters out of the garden um and we're also used for for hunting small game you know they'll they'll bark when someone's coming up to your property but not be mean you know they'll they'll just let you know that someone's there yeah we we talk often we already mentioned bird dogs and and different types of breeds and and most people know how common hunting breeds like labs or uh, GSPs or Britneys or even setters work in the field. What makes feist dogs good hunting companions? You know, wh- what is it that they excel at that makes them the best at what we want them to do? Well, if you think about the track, you know, the scent trail that a squirrel leaves in the timber when they're when they're moving around. You know, they'll be up on the side of a tree, running down a log, jump up on a stump go treetop to treetop, or as we call timbering out, you know, moving from one tree to another without coming to the ground. Um, They'll jump out and run for a while and then go back up. And so that's a very complicated track. And so for squirrel dogs, you want one that uses all of its senses to be able to locate game. So you want them to to be able very visually astute. You know, you want them to see movement and stick with it, but you also want them to listen. You think about a squirrel up in the treetops that hasn't come down for the day. You can just hear the cutting. 
or one barking, you know, an old sow barking at somebody. You know, you want the dog to key in on that, run in with their head up in tree. Um, winding ability is pretty important in these dogs, similar to it would be for a bird dog. Um, and that's sort of what they learn last. They learn ground tracking and sight chasing. And then eventually when they become two or three years old, they start figuring out their, really their nose and, and being able to smell the squirrels that haven't come to the ground yet. And they'll stick with it. You know, you think about when you're, when you're hunting a squirrel without a dog, which um, a lot of people do, if you step on a stick or you sneeze or what have you, you know, they'll leave the country, but it's, it, the, the squirrels will actually focus on the dog and the dog's movement and you're able to walk and talk. Um, carry on once the dog's trained you know young dogs they need to be quiet and give them a chance to learn um, everything that's going on in the timber because it's a very complex track and very complex set of tracks but you want a dog to be uh, more hot nosed than cold nosed you, you know a hound for example um, has a lot colder nose than these dogs and, and most of the time would be treating where the squirrel was at not where he is um, so you want to they have to be able to figure out what's going on and a lot of sensory overload with where the scent has been and the scent trail is laid all over but they need to be able to find where it actually is right now and that's and that's a challenge for dogs that are, are cold nose and then conversely on the other side if you're just a sight dog you know any dog you get from the pound will chase a squirrel up a tree you know basically any breed but we're we're talking about a specialized um breed specifically for this task and having on average in a, in a given litter um dogs that excel at it and so Yes, you can have good dogs from the pound or, or another breed that might do this, but really we're, we're looking for dogs that are above average um, just just out of the gate. So you mentioned that the dogs really start coming in their own when they're two, three, four years old. What What's the typical lifespan of this breed? Yeah, so information is still being compiled on that, but I, just in some of the research that I've done on different forums and, and websites and things is that, you know, you're looking just like other small to medium sized dogs. You're looking if, if they're raised in the house and, and medicated properly. Um, you know, you're looking at probably a 15 year old dog. Uh, a lot of times, and unfortunately, this is the way it's it's been when when they're raised, sort of running around loose in a rural area. Um, or every time you cast a dog out to hunt, you never know what's going to happen. So so the life expectancy is actually quite less. You know, seven or eight years. I'd say on average, just because you can get hit by a car, you know, coyotes are a problem, um, you know, getting lost, that sort of thing. Cause you, you know, drowning, just any, any other, just like you would have with any other hunting breed, there's a lot of risks and dangers out there. Um, every time you turn a dog loose to hunt, but you know, the benefit of these dogs is they don't range nearly as deeply as, as you might expect, you know, on average, they'll go out about 200 yards be, or be within 200 yards, I should say. And, um, if the squirrels aren't moving or there's not a lot of game, they'll range deeper to find you meat, but they'll go out hunting a circular pattern, sort of like quartering like a bird dog does. And they'll come back and check in if they don't tree probably every 10 or 15 minutes. So you're not hunting your dog as much. You know, you don't have to drive around the section and catch them um, like you do with some other breeds. Um, you tell them, you know, go load up and they'll beat you back to the truck a lot of the time. Oh, that's, that's cool. Cause I know there's a lot of, a lot of breeds and, and, uh, especially pointers whenever people are hunting them over birds uh, they're either using beepers or uh, you know a gps collar when people are running hounds or beagles for rabbits they're running gps collars to, so they can find their dog uh, you know because they range can range really far so that's nice to know that uh, at least you can train them to sort of only range out so far and, and keep yeah. them back a little bit yeah i mean we still and a lot of people do run tracking collars you know it's it's another toy it's just like as, as hunters have become specialized, you only have time to hunt one thing or you have a passion about one thing. 
there's also the the desire to use technology to your advantage and and it does give you peace of mind to have a tracking collar on your dogs but uh, you know not not to say it's completely unnecessary but it does it gives you that safety net that okay well if your dog gets caught caught up in a barbed wire fence or something and, and th- these dogs are silent on track they don't they're not like a beagle where you know when they're when they're trailing they are silent on track and they only bark treed so unless they're barking treed you don't know what they're doing <laughs> yeah you know and and they're slipping in and, and i joke and and it's and it's in jest but i say you know, you know these dogs come in a wide range of colors but the, because they're silent on track and and some of them can be like a solid black i said they're the ideal poaching dog right because you can go sneak over the boundary you know, we're supposed <laughs> to be but you know that's that's frowned upon but you you can um the benefits of them is that you can get into tight patches of timber you know small places uh even along a road and you could say all right you know if, if you walk between the the say a hedgerow for example in the road so you can keep an eye on things and the dogs work in the habitat um it's pretty easy to control them and you can teach them hand signals just like you would a labrador retriever or an english pointer you know um and they're, because they're very intelligent very trainable um i've got a female for me that um actually the the owners were they were teaching her to ring a bell on the door to be let out to go to the restroom and and it got to the point like man she needs to go out a lot she needs to go to the bathroom a lot what's going on well, every time she saw a squirrel in the yard out the bay window, she'd ring that bell and be lit out, <laughs> you know? So yeah. it's, you know, it's, it's sort of like you hear about border collies and Jack Russell Terriers. You know, if you don't give them a job, um, they'll find something fun to do and you may not like it. But as far as that goes, they sort of have a, a dual personality. They're not as neurotic as say some of the terrier breeds um, where they're tearing up your stuff all the time. You know, you have a little bit of chewing as a puppy, just like you would with any dog, but they, they're happy to lay at your feet all day. Um, if you're working or, or, you know, you're let, hanging out, but as soon as you say, all right, let's go load up or, you know, go for a ride or you, they see you pick up a gun, they're ready to go and they'll hunt all day. And that was a, that actually leads right into my next question. You know, a lot of people, and this myself included, uh, I mean, as I, I have bird dogs, I hunt my bird dogs, but really I, they're house dogs that I give yeah. them a job to do. So, and a lot of people are starting to do that with their dogs now where they're really house dogs. And then we just do yeah. this fun thing with them. So how are Vice dogs when it comes to, you know, being house trained and with little kids and things like that. They're actually really good with kids. And that's, that's sort of the challenge and, and their potential downfalls that they do make great pets, um, especially when well socialized. And, you know, we're, we try to breed for, for performance and for hunting and, and, you know, field trials that we call competition hunts, even though no game is harvested. And, um, you know, it's, it's difficult because you have a lot of people, oh, they're a small dog and they're not crazy, you know. Um, they do need to have exercise, you know, just as much as you would any other dog or they will start to get crazy, but, you know, so off season can be a challenge, but, um, you know, they blow their coat twice a year. Um, so, but they're not shedding a lot the rest of the year. And this depends on the line or the strain, but, um, cause there's a lot of genetic diversity out there, but, um, you know, they they really adapt well to being a member of the family and you being in their pack. You know, there's some anecdotal evidence that, um, not just in colonial times, but prior that these dogs may have some uh, Native American dog ancestry. And if you look at them, you kind of see that they look like a pariah dog, um, you know, a, a natural type of animal you might see like in Brazil in the rainforest or in Australia with a dingo, you know, cattle dog kind of look to them. And, um, you know, they, there's some thought that, that maybe they actually hunted in packs. So they really adapt well to being in a little pack. And that's, that's where people get in trouble too, because you start collecting the things. They're like, they're like, you know, chips. Once you, once you pop, you can't stop. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I know a lot of this depends on sort of the line of breeding, but uh, there are breeds that are known for certain medical 
conditions, you know, hip dysplasia or growths or uh, as, as my family starting to see with some of Brittany's, uh, some seizures, yeah. things like that. Is there anything that maybe any medical issues that we're sort of looking for with these dogs? Yeah, well, we've benefited greatly, I mean, immensely even from the old timers in you know, the decades before they became real popular. I mean, these dogs got in the mountain, just like the people got in the mountains, became geographically isolated um, and bred with themselves. So it's like each little holler had their own type of, of squirrel dog, their own little feist dog. Um, and since the 1980s, they've been brought out and crossed. So that resulted in a lot of hybrid vigor, a lot of genetic diversity, um, a wide range of colors and sizes and looks and shapes. And, but even though they've got common ancestors and, um, you know, we've been fairly lucky because those old timers were really heavy on culling for genetic problems. Um, and so like, this is breed development again in real time because we've mixed up all these tightly bred dogs. Now we've, you know, basically open pedigree and we've got all this diversity and people are starting to make specific strains and, and even breeds out of that. You know, we're look, we're, this is breed development in real time. What's going on with feist dogs right now is just like what happened to coon hounds. You know, they start out as fox dogs and then they radiate out into different breeds. And we're seeing that right now, um, in the internet age. And, um, you know, health problems, it's hard to pin down any one thing. Like they said, they live a long time, but there hasn't been any, like, oh, they've got, you know, like you said, hip dysplasia or eye problems, like you might see in some of the terriers, this, that, and the other yet. But um, we're going through this period right now where people are breeding a lot. They'll get a dog from two or three breeders and cross them up, um, but we don't cull anymore. You know, it's illegal even in a lot of areas. Um, it's a felony to put down a, a dog that's got a problem. So now we're having this influx of them ending up in shelters you know um and so i get i actually get asked all the time about a rescue for feist and and they're very limited resources for that um so we try really hard you know as a responsible breeder reputable breeder we, we average a litter a year you know we go for for quality not quantity and i try to make sure those dogs are placed where they're going to be forever you know but you can't control everything you know the economy or what have you you know a, an older person dies a lot of people getting into squirrel dogs are advanced in age because they can't follow a hound anymore. The property sizes are small. Their deer clubs, you know, deer clubs are too expensive. So there's an access issue. Um, there's no quail. Like you said, there's no grouse earlier when we talked, you know, so a lot of bird dog and coon hound and, and beagle people are converting to squirrel dogs. Um, and they tend to be 70 years old or older. Um, so you just never know what might happen. And dogs end up in these rescue situations or in pounds. Um, and because they're a dog from the deep South and Appalachia, um, there's actually been, you know, when Katrina came in, a bunch of feist dogs ended up in New England. And you wouldn't believe, you know, you go see, oh, this is a such and such a, this is a such and such a mix. You know, this is a, a Jack Russell Dalmatian mix, you know, because the dog has a lot of spots, so, you know, and, and, you know, I spent a lot of time going, you know, yes, that's a feist. No, it's a feist. Where did it come from? And they're like, oh, it's from Mississippi or it's from Kentucky or it's from Alabama or Texas. And I go, yeah, it's not, it's not a Jack Russell mix. I mean, these are, these are 25 to 30 pound dogs. You know, Jack Russell's a 14. <laughs> right. You know, and it's just, a, you know, people are just figuring out about them, even though they've been here for hundreds of years. And, you know, they sort of died back to that Eastern Kentucky area. So, you know, we're talking about genetic diversity and, and um, genetic problems. You know, I don't, I don't see a lot. I mean, there are, I have seen reports of seizures, um, especially in, you know, dogs that are, are, can be tightly bred. And, and like you say, without this culling, there's a natural bobtail trait in a lot of lines. I mean, even some of my dogs haven't, and, and you know, haven't seen an issue with it um, so much with seizures, but in other breeds, that is a problem. You know, think about Australian shepherds. I know there's some, some literature about, um, you know, this bobtail causing neurological problems. So I, I am leery of things like that as, as these become popular and, and almost overbred, they're still a rare dog, but they're just skyrocketing to, to 
being all over the place and, and of unknown or questionable ancestry, um, you know, as people get them for pets or this, that, and the other. So yeah, there's, they're, they're fairly healthy dogs. Um, I wouldn't say they're hypoallergenic, you know, they do shed their coat twice a year heavily, but other than that, they're not too bad. Um, uh, and a lot of them have good bites and, and everything to do the job. Um, there's not a lot of, uh, hindrances because to be able to do the job, you have to be able to be healthy. I mean, they, they run across a rocky slope that you and I would crawl across like it's flat ground. <laughs> so I know it's a rambling answer, but it's, it's complicated and, and we're still finding out a lot of this information as we go. I have two dogs at home that I hunt birds, uh, mm-hmm. over and I have buddies that I've hunted over their dogs. Uh, I've gone coon hunting once or twice. Um, yeah. but I've never, and I've hunted squirrels, but I've never hunted squirrels over a dog. So what, how are we changing tactics when we're introducing a squirrel dog to, to try to find these squirrels and sort of snuff them out? Sure. Well, first off, I want to say, you know, since you mentioned bird dogs, like these dogs can be trained to hunt basically anything you want them to do and will learn what you don't want them to hunt and will leave it alone. You know, you, they're pretty good flushers for birds. They're good jump dogs for rabbits. Some of them will retrieve. You know, I've got, I've had one in the past that will water retrieve. Um, so it just depends on the individual dog a lot of the time, but um, you know, people are breeding for squirrel dogs. So that's, that's what comes out most often. And, um, but really, you know, you go to a, a patch of woods, you know, late season is really when squirrel dogs shine. That's their time um, where they're most helpful. You think about Appalachia where you've got spotty mass distribution, you know, because of late frost or moisture differences because of the mountains. And, and um, you can sit and watch a hole or a food source say all day. And, you know, the squirrel populations are very spotty and you may not be successful. But if you pull up to a patch of timber and and uh, drop the dog in there, they can cover it, and you'll know in short order whether or not it's worth hunting. And um, you lose a lot less uh, cripples and, and wounding. You know, you have a squirrel that bails out of the tree, you know, just jumps out out of the tree. A lot of times the dogs will catch it on the ground. Um, so it's you just you you improve your odds of coming home um, successfully. You know, you may you still the average squirrel hunt. A lot of people don't know what whatever method the average squirrel hunt is three. Uh, squirrels that you'll you'll harvest um, at a time, you know, at, at an outing. So you're you're still going to be in that realm throughout the season. It's hard in the in the early season when the leaves are on, and you're, if your dog is young and still sight oriented. Um, but you'll get you'll end up with more squirrels in late season when the mast is gone, or if it's non-existent, than you would have without without a dog. And, and so I think you're really extending your season in that case when you're not able to pinpoint a when you're not able to pinpoint a specific food source, um, it's just, you know, oh, I've got hundred acres out here. Where's the squirrel? Um, and, and the dog will help uh, fill your game bag. So, and I think that that's really why they survived in Appalachia and nowhere else, because your odds of coming home with meat was much better if you kept these old dogs around. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, you know, no matter what kind of small game hunting you're doing, it seems like it's, I won't say easier, but at least you get to cover more ground than you feel like you cover that ground more thorough whenever you're doing it with a, a well-trained dog. Right. I mean, I, I grew up in Virginia and, and we hunt everything with dogs. You know, people have hog dogs and bear dogs and coon dogs and duck dogs and bird dogs, you know, on and on. Squirrel dog is just another one to add to the pack, you know, and and um, they can actually replace some of the others. <laughs> <laughs> I've had more than one person get rid of all their dogs when they got one from me. So fair warning. <laughs> I'll keep that in mind. Yep. <laughs> so I have a, a two-part question for you. Uh, the first part should be a pretty easy yes or no answer. Sure. Uh, but it, is it legal in most states to hunt squirrel with the dog? And then 
of all the states that you've gone, because we've talked and, and you've been all over the place to hunt squirrels with your dogs, what, where's your favorite state to hunt squirrels? Sure. Well, I would say that you have to be very careful to check your state's wildlife code because a lot of states are permissive. They tell you the things you can do, and if it's not listed, you can't do it. So you got to make sure that um, a lot of times state agency may not have even thought about squirrel dogs as an, as a, as an option. Um, so like the northern third of the United States, those are the areas where you need you may probably need to do some introductions and, and bring up this topic because um, you may not have a training season or you have training season for other species. And if you do anything else, it's not allowed. Um, so it's, it's really not a short answer to your question, yes or no. But I would say most states are looking into the issue. And, and if you're looking in the, in the southern half of the country, I'd say most of them have some sort of consideration for um, hunting small game generally with dogs that will encompass what you're doing. Um, in Virginia, we actually got the season expanded um, and the, the um, training season or chase season expanded from just coon dogs and bear to encompass a year-round training for squirrel dogs. Um, and that was, you know, a legislative process. You have to go to the board meetings and this, that, and the other and present um, and get that passed. My, my favorite state to hunt in, again, that's a, a complicated question because you can go someplace, you know, like Pennsylvania where you're at where there's a lot of game, a lot of opportunities, and not a lot of hunters. Or you could go somewhere, you know, like uh, the Del Mississippi Delta where there's different subspecies of fox squirrel that you can hunt in a single day and into this really cool colors, and it's almost like a trophy hunt at that point. Um, but there's a lot of competition for spots. You know, there's so many squirrel hunters down there. But then, you know, my ideal spot, and that's probably, I, I'm I, when I'm east of the Mississippi River, I, I hunt 99% of my time on public land. So I know that struggle. But I've got a lot of family farms and extended family that, that run farming operations in Missouri. Um, and so when we go out there, I have a pretty good time because I know the land. I have access, um, and you know, people know my dogs, and I don't have to worry about them getting lost or picked up or whatever. Um, so it's just I'm a lot more confident and comfortable out there. So I'd say Missouri is probably my my favorite state to hunt in, even though it's all different. Like if you, I like to go to North Carolina and hunt in the the pine stands, just like you would for like a quail plantation. You know, um, big open pines have been burned underneath. You know, big uh, southeastern fox squirrels are like three pounds. You know, um, it's just different experiences and 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 meeting different people and and hunting with different friends and and um, you know, a big part of what we do is try to get more people into this. And so I, I travel around the country hunting all over, you know, for not just family, but, but friends that we try to take hunting and introduce to, to squirrel dogs. I can tell that your passion, I'm sure that all the listeners can tell you're passionate about your dogs and, and the squirrel hunting being this deep and other than training the dogs and hunting with them, what else do you do with these dogs to keep their mind sharp? Well, I mentioned earlier, they're very, very trainable. Um, because we're in the timber so much of the year, that's a major focus. You know, hunting or training is, is a big, big part of what we do. But just being part of an active rural family, you know, you can take them hiking. Um, you know, if you've got a chicken coop, you know, socialize them to chickens and, and, and protect your yard. They get a lot of enjoyment out of that. Um, you know, just, just letting you know if someone's around or something's around that shouldn't be. Um, but yeah, just interaction, just going for rides places. They, they just like to do that. I mean, you tell you know, go for a ride and they'll hop up in the front of the truck and you can go to Tractor Supply or wherever, um, southern states, depending on where you're at. And, you know, go to the feed store um, and they'll, they'll be fine with that. You know, they, they love going to ball games. My wife actually coaches um, collegiate athletics and, um, you know, we'll take dogs to um, sporting events. My kids play ball um, and introduce them to other people and kids and, and just keep them socialized and, and adaptive because it really helps with them um, dealing with, 
strange situations. I mean, these dogs, just like, you know, us in a lot of ways, like rural people like myself, you know, we sort of grew up in a situation where we're isolated and, and getting out and talking to other people sometimes can be uncomfortable, but the, for these dogs, it's even worse. Like they grew up and they were developed in isolation. So you have to be, you want to make sure they're very well socialized because um, a poorly socialized dog is, is a dog that will be uncomfortable and scared and could um, bite somebody or get lost, you know, run off and get lost. So you want to make sure whatever breed you have, but for these, um, we've been breeding toward a temperament that is willing to please um, and friendly to people. But um, 20 years ago, that wasn't the case. You know, someone, you, you know, you get too close to the truck, you you pull back a nub if you try to touch somebody else's truck, you know, with the dog in it. So it's, um, it's been a, it's, it's been a, um, an interesting ride uh, as we've adapted both ourselves and these dogs to the modern world that we're thrust in. <laughs> yeah, I know a couple of the farm dogs that when they're in the truck, you you don't go up to the truck. <laughs> yeah, and that's and that's any dog will do that, you know, and that's why you need, you, you know, you should, whatever breed you hunt, like if you want to get a mountain cur, which is like the larger counterpart of these, um, you know, like a 50, 60 pound dog sometimes, um, you know, it's just make sure that your dog is socialized, you know, because you're, not just a breed ambassador or a hunting ambassador, but you're out there um, and you just don't want to have a, an unfortunate situation with anybody, you know, because there's a lot, you know, somebody might be mountain biking anymore or riding a horse. I mean, socialize your dogs to horses and snakes and bicycles and, you know, because otherwise your dog might leave the county when they see a bike because they get freaked out. Yeah, that's good advice for anyone that owns a dog. It doesn't have to be a hunting breed or anything. I mean, no. you have to socialize your dog and, and, be, have it okay with other dogs, other people, other experiences. Yeah, because you don't really you, get the most out of that dog. Yeah, because you you don't see a lot of people, but when you do, it'll be ten horses, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or a four wheeler, you know. So, if someone's interested in this breed of dog, in feast dogs, where can they find information? So, um, there's there's more resources available online than there used to be. I've written several articles over the years, and and they've had articles written about us by others. But um, actually, in 2018, I wrote a book called The Mountain Feist, where I talk about the, the history and the background and, and all, a lot of things we've talked about, but go into more de more detail um, about where they come from and how they work and where they might be going. Um, but if, if you go on Facebook or on social media, you know, use the hashtag Mountain Feist, you'll see a lot of posts about them on there, a lot of pictures. Um, like I said, there's more and more people that have them as pets. So you're seeing a lot more like, you know, cute dog and sweater pictures. But we try to keep them without clothes on, you know, maybe an orange collar um, and, uh, and hunting like they're bred to do because, you know, they thrive in a situation where they're able to hunt. You know, they're like a different dog. They're a lot happier. Um, but anyway, there's a lot of information online where we've got a, a Facebook page called uh, Gray's Mountain Feist, but we also run a group that's got about 14 and a half thousand members called the Treeing and Mountain Feist Squirrel Dogs because there's sort of two, like I said, there's two, um, major groups that have split. You've got the more mountain type dog, which tend to be a little smaller, ears stand up, hunt a little closer. And then like the um, Gulf states have what they call a treeing feist. Um, and they're a little longer in the leg. Uh, you know, the ears may flop down, a little bigger size, range a little deeper. So there's a little bit, there's a physical difference, but also hunting style is a little different. So, you know, really you want to go out and and hunt with different strains and, and breeds and see what might suit your method of hunting because, you know, you can train these dogs to where it's legal, um, what we call rig hunt or, or road hunt, but road hunt's illegal in most states just using that term, you know, you don't shoot across a roadway, that sort of thing. But what we mean by that is rig hunting where you let the dogs out in front of you and you drive your vehicle slowly with your firearm unloaded, and then when they tree, you park, you know, safely 
get your gun out, get off the roadway as far as you need to do, load it, and then go in and, and harvest the game. <laughs> so huh. it's, it's a little more of a juggle, but it, you can cover a lot more ground, um, especially in places like where the squirrel numbers are low or um, it's, you just want to cover more ground, give the dogs some exercise, toughen up their feet, that sort of thing. Ah, that's a that's a cool concept. Uh, so for today's call for action, I'm going to be uh, the one that, that goes ahead with okay. this one. And sure. uh, basically what I want everyone to do is learn more about the breed. Uh, you know, I thought I was a dog person. Uh, I love all kinds of dogs. Uh, but it turns out, you know, this breed is fascinating and it wasn't really even something on my radar. Like you talked earlier about, you know, some of these dogs that people were thinking were mixes. It turns out they're actually feast dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I know that you have some great information on Gray's Mountain Feast website, and you also have that Facebook group as well. We'll make sure we post those links in the episode notes so that the listeners can check them out. But I definitely want to encourage all the listeners to check out more about this breed and find some videos on them because um, it's what they're able to do and the research I've done before this interview is absolutely amazing to me. I appreciate it. It was good talking with you again, and, and I hope people – We'll go out there and learn more about this because, um, you know, if it wasn't for squirrel dogs, I think squirrel hunting and hunting in general will be in a lot worse shape in terms of participation um, than it is now. I agree. Hey, thanks for coming on. It was great learning about this, and hopefully we can get together in the future so I can uh, actually experience what it's like to hunt over one of these dogs. Yeah, thank you. That would be great. You know, we're all about it. You know, we can meet in the middle or I can come all the way out that way. It doesn't make a difference. you got spots to go, we'll, we'll make it happen. That'll do it for today's episode. I want to thank Marcus for coming on a second time, this time to discuss a personal passion of his. There are so many different ways to participate in outdoor activities, and I encourage each of you to find your own way to become involved. Check out the episode details to find how you can contact Marcus and learn more about the Feist dog breed. Until next time, leave us a rating and review on iTunes and share this podcast with a friend. And as always, stay wild. Mm -hmm.